Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. those numbers, you need to be on top of it like a business. Treat your investing like a business. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with ultra successful property investor and owner of Be Invested, Nathan Birch. Owning over 200 properties, Nathan Birch is no stranger to the world of investing and in this episode, we'll be delving into how he reached this level of success, his strategies and much, much more. Birch starts off by telling us a bit about what he does, the companies he's founded and the businesses he's created. I founded a company called Be Invested. Uh, Be Invested is a group of companies that sort of helps investors. I was like the, one of the first buyers agencies in the country. I've been in business for over 10 years. Um, I've got a group of different companies. So I manage properties I, uh, for my investors. Uh, I help people uh, build wealth and build strategy uh, to build property portfolios. Um, I have a finance company. I've founded a law firm, an accountancy practice, a financial planning business. Um, I've got national real estate offices. Um, so, yeah, I don't even know what I would have as a job title. Um, I, I just buy properties is my main thing that I do. And uh, I personally own over 200 properties and uh, yeah, just hustle. In terms of what he does on a day-to-day basis, Birch also delves into that with us. At the moment, like, so I put on all different hats. Like this year, um, I've moved five offices of mine. Um, uh, you know, I employ over 100 staff. So there's always something going on throughout one of my companies that I need to attend to. Um, I always do a lot of research into what's happening out there in global economies and the financial sector, which you know maybe we can touch on a little bit later. Um, and uh, yeah, I just always look for properties as well. So I'm always sort of hustling a deal. I've always got hundreds of offers out there with agents, um, just yeah, making deals happen. He then goes on to tell us a bit about his upbringing and where he grew up. Yeah, I grew up in Western Sydney um, from... You know, it, it, it ran in Parramatta area for those that are familiar with Sydney. Um, a lot of people think I grew up in Mount Druid. Um, I bought my first property in Mount Druid at the age of 18. I was scared of that place as well back in the day. Um, I grew up in a family which, you know, my parents were nearly 50 when they had me. Um, I was a surprise package and all my brothers were much older. And I didn't really have a, a childhood where I, um, you know, wanted to go play with toys and have friends and all that sort of stuff. It was kind of like a, a loner. And, um, you know, I still feel like that a little bit sometimes with my crazy ideas that I have. How many kids do you have in your family? Uh, my parents had four boys. Wow. And you're, you're, you're obviously the youngest out of them. What, what were the age gaps between them? Oh, like 11 to 20 years difference. I've got nieces and nephews that are almost my age. Birch reflects back on his life 
and the events that occurred which have shaped him to become the person he is today. I look back and I think, wow, well, it could have been like such a small brat, but it didn't turn out that way. And, um, you know, sort of carry a lot for the family and sort of help out where I can. Like, so I grew up in a, a blue-collar family as well, um, just a typical family. Dad worked for, you know, 40 years, uh, died of a heart attack at the age of 62. Um, last thing I said to him was I swore at him. I had a fight as a teenage kid. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's uh, – yeah, I just as a young kid, I thought, you know, you work your whole life and you just die. And, you know, my dad didn't get to enjoy it. I'm not trying to be morbid here, but you know, that sort of gave a bit of inspiration to be like, you know, I, I you know, want to do something. Like, you know, I could go back, this is like back in early 2000, like 2001, uh, he, he passed away and um, had a heart attack. And I thought to myself, like, an average wage of 50 grand a year. I have to work 40 years, get 50 grand a year, you know, that's not a really cool way to, to live my life. And um, I just thought, how can I be rich? And rich people seem to own property. So I wanted to own property and sort of hustled from the age of 13 to the age of 18 to buy my first property in Western Sydney, which is all I could afford and had a goal, had a, a vision, had, you know, a dream of being able to build a, a passive income stream of 50 grand a year in order to you know, not have to have a job. Uh, I'd, I'd failed a lot at school, not because I was dumb, but just because, you know, I didn't want, I wasn't a fan of a 12 year indoctrination camp um, where I, you know, had to become a, a tax slave. So I didn't really fit in too well there. And um, I ended up, yeah, just um, <clears throat> working out a strategy of how I could get, uh, you know, retirement by the age of 30. And I thought it was impossible at the time. There was no internet. There was no YouTube, there was no podcast, no mentors, no nothing. Um, I just did some simple mathematics and thought, you know, hard work is started, like it's important at the start and, you know, commitment and focus is important. And I just went out to, you know, set out a plan to 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 build an income stream that would mean that I wouldn't have to go to work for the next 40 years or I would sacrifice 10 years of my life. And, you know, if I live to 60, hopefully I live longer, but, you know, if I live to 60, I have half my life left. For Birch, high school was not where his interests lay and he spent his time occupied by other matters that would eventually help lead him to success later on in life. I wish I was me now going back to school, I would have, you know, sort of dealt with the people that picked on me because I went to five high schools and um, I couldn't fit in. I had no friends. Um, I'd spend <clears throat> my time in class, you know, sort of being disobedient sometimes because I didn't know how to communicate with people. Um, communication is probably one of my most important things nowadays. You know, I'm a professional negotiator, and um, yeah, like I just had no communication skills, um, and I'd just spend my lunch times in the library. I'd think like this school's too bogan for me, this two school's too snobby for me, and I always change schools. Like I was sort of like a sport brat. My parents were like, okay, if you don't like this school, son, we'll put you in another one, but I couldn't fit in. It's just a normal sort of upbringing, though. Um, my, my brothers were older. I got along with my brothers. I got along with adults, but not you know, kids and teenagers at the time. And um, yeah, I, I just I spent my afternoons working in a family business. We had a, a fish, like an aquarium. And um, you know, I, I used to spend. I used to try and sometimes wag school from twelve o'clock onwards so I could work and earn more money. Uh, but I had goals. Like actually, it's funny. I, I moved house a while ago. When I moved house, I looked at 
this, I found this old school diary from back in school. I was in like year nine or something. And I'd written on the bottom of all the pages in the diary, like um, how much I could earn on each afternoon for like 12 months in advance on each day. And I set that as a schedule of what sort of income I could earn throughout the, the time of the year. And then I saved that and I hustled and I was like, that's going to be towards my first deposit. And I just kept hustling every year for about the age of 13 till the age of 18. Um, when I left school at the age of 17 in 2001, I worked two full-time jobs, uh, 2002, sorry, I worked two full-time jobs just to, you know, have enough deposit to buy my first property. And one thing I realized back at the time and didn't know until, you know, probably five years later is that every time I kept saving up 10, 15 grand, the property market would rise like 50 to 100 grand because we're going through a boom in the early 2000s. And um, I realized that money loses its value. It's never that the property goes up. And then, you know, all these sort of things play into to building a successful strategy to, to get ahead. Birch tells us a bit about his first job, how he did at school and the large gift he was promised at the time he would get if he went to university. My first job um, was working in the family business in the fish shop um, and, you know, that's where I saved my first deposit. Um, from there, I thought, you know, rich people are real estate agents. I failed every grade from kindergarten to year 12. Uh, yeah, and I, I got um, actually posted on my Facebook one day, like, I got... For those that remember what a UAI is, uh, I think it's like an A tier now or something. But if you got thirty-two percent or less, you got like a mystery mark. I got thirty-two point eight my UAI, and um, it was just like kind of funny. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to uni. And my mum actually had a deal with me because my family were really sort of just battlers, not poor but not wealthy. And my when my dad passed away, she actually had this thing like which was in his super, which was like a an annual fee. It was like a education fee. So if you had a kid in school, when um, when the person passed away, you'd get twenty five grand a year income um, to support that. So my mum said to me, if I wanted to go to university, I would have had university paid for. And she said she kind of encouraged me to go there. And she said, um, I'll buy you whatever car you want. And I said, I want a Honda S two thousand. It was pretty cool back in the time. And she said she'd buy it for me. And I turned around and I was like, stuff this uni crap, right? Like, I don't want to go. And there's no disrespect people go to uni. I was like, this isn't for me. And I was incentivized by having a brand new sports car when, you know, my family only had like, you know, old Dats and Bluebirds and stuff from the records that were like five, six hundred bucks a car. And, um, and I turned that away because I realized that I could go out there and earn money and, you know, build an income stream. And that. And I said to my mum at the time, like, I joke to it sometimes now because I went out and bought a Bentley for you know a quarter of a million bucks. I've got a cheap low market value like my properties. And I was like, do you remember that? I called her one day, I was just thinking about it. I was like, do you remember that time when you said you'd buy me a car? I just bought a freaking Bentley, mum. I didn't even know what it was back in the day. Oh, that is so cool. Just to be able to do that. And and mum, mum's still around to be able to share these things as well with? Yeah, I saw mum last night. She's, she's almost 80 now. Birch tells us about his mother and her reaction when he started buying properties. Not just one or two properties, but multiple properties. My mum was like a housewife, like just back in the day. Like my mum's like very like sort of you meet her and she's like very strong. She'll tell you her piece and like she's kinda of like me and the people say I'm very similar to my mum. Um, and she's like my mum would sit there and um, 
you know, just taught people as things are. And she was like very hardworking and driven. She was a housewife until I was like five years old. Like she minded the kids and everything back in the day. And then she had like a, a, a drive to go and work in a job and, and whatnot. And she kind of had a fight with my dad one day and she went out and got a job. And then she built the business, which is a fish shop, a family business. And um, she worked hard in her old, old age, like up to about 65. And then, um, you know, when she saw me buy property, she was like, okay, cool. First property, that's good on you. Um, the second property was like, yeah, this is really good. My son's 18. He's got two properties. The third property, her mindset was like, mate, you're going to get yourself bankrupted. Her mindset was stuck at two, right? And she's like, nah, don't, don't do it. You're going to go bankrupt, right? You're buy, getting yourself into too much debt. I'm like, it's 350 grand debt, mum. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it was big money. And, you know, for an 18-year-old and my mum that bought a house for $13,000 in Parramatta, in, you know, 52 years ago now, you know, it was a, it was a big um, sort of change in, in, in thought process. And the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, Tenth property was like was like starting to be like an intervention at about five or six. After maybe six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like it was like I was Britney Spears and shaving my head, sort of thing. So this guy's off the rails. And then um, after that, like I think it was about twenty properties, thirty properties. It was about twenty-five properties when I quit my job in the middle of the GFC. So by this time, you had made a big leap and changed into investing property full time. What were some of the full-time jobs you worked in? So my first job, I thought real estate agents were cool. So I thought it'd be a real estate agent, worst job in the world. I then worked in a job which was like, I worked a job pouring beers as well as um, uh, like in a, in a newspaper, like a like advertising role. And then um, I became like a manager. When I quit my job in 2004, I was like just around the six-figure level. No one in my family ever earned six figures. Like my dad died. I saw my dad die like 10 years, less than 10 years, like six, seven years beforehand. And he was on like 50, 60 grand a year. And she's like, you're throwing away your job at 100 grand a year income? I'm like, my servicing doesn't matter anymore. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into how Nathan Birch's mother reacted when he threw away his 100 grand income. We had like four jobs. My mum's mindset, she lost it and then she's like, okay, whatever. One of his worst investing moments that resulted in a loss. I'm collecting these things like a boss. I'm so cool. And then I didn't see APRA coming in. His strategy for managing his property investments. If I've got 100 properties, you know, there's you know, 52 grand a year just by, you know, increasing 100 by 10 bucks so um you need to look at like the intricate numbers and that's next i'm tyron shum and you're listening to property investory at the time birch's mother couldn't believe he was throwing away his hundred grand income but eventually, when she saw the success he was reaping, she came around. He had like four jobs. My mum's mindset, she lost it. And then she was like, okay, whatever. And then I just started hustling. Like I had like 30 grand a year passive income at that point. Um, this is in the middle of the GFC, by the way, I quit my job. From there, I thought, you know, I'll just buy one property a year and had a strategy to flip it, just buy a Renault resale and make myself an extra 50 grand and I'll be on 30 grand plus 50 on my 80 and all I have to do is just do one Renault a year. And um, from there, I just kept pushing my portfolio. I got bored. 
Um, I started making YouTube videos before anyone knew what YouTube was. And um, people asked me, you know, the media got behind me. I saw something the other day in my office that I've been in like specific sort of media, like TV interviews, like 71 times. So I sort of started that portfolio sort of revolution out there. And people wanted to, me to help with building portfolios and whatnot. And that's why I sort of just yeah, have a very candid and unorthodox sort of business of, you know, just saying things as they are because nothing really, you know, I make my money out of property and, you know, the business is more just a fun to get me out of trouble. But nowadays, my mum, to answer your question about my mum, she's like, I don't know what you do, Nathan, and she swears a lot too, just like me. She had four boys, of course, and she's like, I don't fucking know what you do, Nathan, but, you know, you know what you're doing, so keep doing what you're doing. So, yeah, she's on board now, but for many years it was like, and it's hard because, you, you know, your friends and family aren't on board. For Birch, the barometer for success when it comes to building portfolios boils down to one thing. He also informs us of the importance of having a strategy when building your portfolio. I remember um, when I first started my business, um, I had these flyers and I thought I needed to have flyers. Like, I used to do like these little seminars that I'd put on my you know, social media, YouTube, whatever, and um, Facebook and that. And I'd do these little things. I had these flyers printed out and it said, like, because edu- I started the Be Investor Group as like an education business and then it grew to all the other, you know, shared services model with um, all the other vital uh, things building a portfolio. And um, I used to have these flyers that says, numbers don't lie. And it's the fact. Numbers don't lie. Like, your emotion can lie. Your ego can lie your thoughts can lie when i say emotion like whether it's a fear emotion or whether it's like an ego emotion or whether it's like whatever your your numbers tell the story it's just purely numbers it's numbers game and people can tell you oh i wouldn't buy there i wouldn't want to buy this i wouldn't want to do that i don't see the value it's like well if the numbers tell you the story then do it if it works but you need to have like a plan you need to have a strategy you need to understand like for example for me when i first started there was no one like in the early 2000s for those that remember back to you know the y2k bug and whatnot there's a lot of people out there saying like i'll oh, buy a property it's negative gear do this and you know buy this off the plan thing there was no one that ever spoke about a property portfolio nothing so i thought to myself if i could just have 10 properties that bought in 100 bucks a week positive cash flow that's a thousand bucks a week it's 50 grand a year I don't have to work again. I can do whatever I want. I've freed myself from slavery of a nine to five. And that's all I hustled for. I thought it was impossible. Like I really thought it was impossible. And um, I think I had eight by the age of 21. I made my first million bucks in Mount Druid at the age of 21 as well. Um, and then I just kept wanting to expand it from there. Um, so having a strategy, like some people, like if you wanted 100 grand a year today, you'd need to have, say, seven properties that rent for 300 bucks a week owned outright. So it's 300 bucks times 52, 15,600, 15,600 times seven, that's about 100, 506 grand. That could be a strategy. It's like, how do you get there? And everyone will give you their feedback, your you know, colleagues, your family, your friends. And it's like, well, cool for your opinion, but that ain't going to pay my bills. Despite his incredible success now, Birch's first property was far from ideal. I was um, 17 and then sort of like my, my dad died when I was like 16 and I'd been saving up. I had about 30 grand at the age of like 16, 17. I was earning like 
10 grand a year, like 200 bucks a week on average, every holidays, every afternoon, every weekend, just sacrifice my youth. I say I sacrifice my youth, people go, we're still young. So I, I sacrifice my youth, man. <laughs> I sacrifice more than what I have to, to get to where I am today. But it's like, it's uncomfortable, it was fun, right? It gives me options, that's why I like being silly, like having a laugh and like to live life my terms because you know, at that time, I was 17, I thought to myself, you know, I would try and pick up some chicks at the time and I was like, you know, I've only got like a $200 car because that's what my family sort of had at the time, we used to buy $200 cars. I went out, I just bought a brand new car cash and um, I thought I couldn't sign a contract for another 18 months and I could save another, you know, 20, 30 grand in the next 18 months because I'm going to be leaving school and all that sort of stuff. I'll be able to get it still. So I bought a brand new car and then by the time I um, bought my first property, I was 18 and I had about 35, 40 grand saved. Um, and I bought my first property in a suburb called Hebersham out in uh, in, uh, in Mount Druitt. And uh, it was 248 grand. Uh, it was remembering that there was a boom in Sydney which peaked in 03 and the market collapsed in 03. A lot of people think, oh, the market's just been going up forever. But the market collapsed in 03 to about 08. So when the GFC came, the market actually took off because of quantitative easing, stimulus, money being injected in the marketplace, whatnot. And um, in 2003, it's when I bought a property. And I found this property that was like a non... I wanted to have it close to Sydney. And I thought, well, you know, Mount Druitt's where the cheapest properties are. He tells us how much he picked up this property for. And despite being a less than ideal investment, it helped him achieve a bigger dream. I picked up something for like 200, 250. They just kept going up. Houseos were selling for 300. And I picked up a non houseo house out there, Houseo being House Commission, like government housing. And I picked up this property for two, 248. So I thought it was below market value. I minimized all the risks. There was no reason why I bought it. It was just because I thought it was good value. And I have to get a bargain on everything. Like everything I buy, like it doesn't matter. Like I'll choose a fridge based on how cheap I'm getting it. Not cheap, but well priced. I'm getting it. I'll choose a car based on. I'll take that color one because it's you know five percent cheaper, ten percent cheaper. So it's like it's yeah. Like I, I I saw this house and I was like, and my mind said I, I used to use the word house. You never hear me say house now. It's always property because. It's just the asset that I need to accumulate. But um, this house was um, full of termites, which the pest and building report said they had no termites. The roof collapsed on me. Um, I built an illegal granny flat because I thought granny flats were cool, so I converted the garage into a granny flat. Um, it really sucked the life out of me when I got into trouble from council. Just everything went wrong with it. But I think that sort of slowed me for like a little bit to go, okay, well, I need to minimise risk. Like it was an education lesson. It was like... It was, I remember at the time I used to say from having to work on this property so much that it was like an apprenticeship in life. It was an apprenticeship in how to be a tradie, an apprenticeship on how to be an investor, mindset, everything. I ended up selling that property um, just to prove, like at the time I needed some cash, but I sold it in about 2012, I think it was, so about 10 years later. Um, I think I sold it for like 450, 460, so it sort of doubled. But I sold it to use the money as my deposit on my first principal place of residence. So it was significant that I used that. It was a, that property was purely a vehicle to get me onto five acres out in Dural. That was like my first 
principal place, and it's like that property was purely uh, – that's all I did. It grew me the deposit big enough to get into my dream house. And you're still living in that dream house? Nah, I moved out. I'm building another one. So I've got like 140,000 uh, square meters of land in Western Sydney like to build on. So I just land bank now some of my stuff. And I still buy the original sort of cheapy sort of property still, but I still buy – like some of these land banks of future sort of something. Birch delves into one of his worst investing moments, which affected him not being able to get funding to settle his properties. One of the worst ones happened this year, um, and it was a it was a good one. Um, like out of all my properties, like I'll point you to a few of them. Like so, some of my best ones, like I've had, like my best properties were like my little. Cheapies, like the stuff I sort of specialize in. It's like, and you still pick them up today, like 150 grand rent for 250 bucks a week. Um, I picked up one for a client this morning that was like um, 220,000. It's only two years old. The owner paid 340,000 for it, rents for 350 a week, and it's in a capital city. I was like, that's cool. You can't even build this thing for that. But some of my really good ones. Could be, you know, whether it be my land banking, my motels, shopping. So I've got all different stuff nowadays. But my worst ones, I've never lost money per se. Like I've never bought something that's gone well. You know, I bought it for three hundred; it's worth a hundred. Like I never had any sort of losses like that. But it's just had like shit decisions or things that I didn't foresee happening. One of them was when APRA changed, and this is why a lot of people think that I was a bit. Cuckoo two years ago, three years ago, when I said the market was going to turn and exactly what would happen with interest rates coming down and the liquidity in the markets. I bought 10 mil worth of property in a month and I thought it was a property gangster. I was like, you know, I'm collecting these things like a boss. I'm so cool. And then I didn't see APRA coming in and they changed all the lending requirements and these were stacked on delayed settlements and stuff. And um, when, I, when I went to settle the first batch, I couldn't get funding. But that first batch wasn't the only one to be affected by APRA's change in lending requirements. There was soon a domino effect that resulted in a loss. However, Birch has never suffered losses from property crashes due to this strategy. So, say I had March, a property selling, April, a property selling, May, a property selling, and so on and so forth. What occurred is that when I went to settle the first one, I couldn't settle it. I had to wait another month and then the bank let me down again. I had two properties to settle, then three properties to settle and the first property is getting angry that I haven't settled it yet. And it was just a real big part. I think I, I ended up maybe losing about a million bucks. I was going to lose a million bucks in deposits if I didn't complete and I was like, I'm not, not going to complete but I probably lost about a million bucks in just being dicked around with loans, penalty interest, stuff like that at the time and just sort of wrecked me up for a bit. Um, worst property experience was this year was I've got properties all around Australia at one point when I quit my job I bought a couple of little cheapies in regional Australia to um, to renovate and sell and it was one of my flipping strategies and I never sold them because it was like I bought this thing for 22 grand spent like 20 grand on renovating it was worth 200 and it rented for 250 a week it's been rented for the last you know 10 years for that um, the real estate agent in this town um, just changed hands and they've been paying my insurance for like a decade. I didn't check my insurance. They never paid it. 
they left it vacant. The house burnt down. I would have been paid out 300 grand, but because my property manager was on the right track, um, they cost me, you know, a quarter of a million bucks sort of thing. So um, that was a big lesson this year. I, I took, like, because I've got a, a, a rental business, and it's, you know, I run it very different than real estate agents because it's just, yeah, I don't like real estate agents like anyone, but um, I just got to take it as a level of control on board. So I look after my properties and some of my clients and whatnot. But I took my business national because I'm like, I'm, I can't deal with incompetence out there. So just little things that occur, like I've never had like a big doozy where it's like I bought something that crashed. Like cause when I buy, I always make sure that I buy at below market value. So if I'm picking up like 20% cheaper than everything else, the market would have to drop 20% before I was in a loss. So um, I've always built in that sort of buffer um, and I make sure it's got like positive cash flow or neutral to positive. So then if I have to hold on to it for 10 years, 20 years, at least it's going to look after itself. And I like capital cities because that brings in the growth. For Birch, running a business that manages his properties is one of his dislikes and gives us some important advice on how to manage your property investments. I actually don't like it. Like out of all my businesses, it's like this thing's painful. I'm always dealing with some bloody tenant issue. You know, it's like babysitting a lot of the time in, in property management. And I just, I look at it like very different because a real estate agent, if you're employing a real estate agent, generally you've got, I don't know, someone that's like 18 or 20 looking after your properties around like 40 grand a year. If they have a complaint from a tenant, they normally side the tenant because the tenant just bullies them in life. And um, I don't like agents that are pro-tenant because I employ the agent. I'm the one that wants to be pro-landlord. I want it to be pro-landlord. So $10 to me is 500 bucks a year, 520 bucks uh, per year. So if I get my rent increased just by $10, just on one property, 10 bucks, that's $520 per year. If I've got 100 properties, yeah, you know, there's you know fifty two grand a year just by you know increasing a hundred by ten bucks. So um, you need to look at like the intricate numbers. Like I'm very fastidious with like you know every little dollar that comes in or out of my portfolio. Um, I, yeah, I sort of is important. I think for all owners, like there's so many owners. Like when I pick up properties via myself or my buyers agency clients, I look at them thinking. Why would you keep your property rented at two eighty when it should be three twenty? Forty bucks a week less, that's two grand a year. Ten years, that's twenty grand. There's a deposit for another property. Like it's those numbers, you need to be on top of it like a business. Treat your investing like a business, probably a good tip that I could recommend to everyone. So, inspired by Nathan Birch's property journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory where we'll discuss in detail his strategy. I'm all about building assets and having a portfolio of assets that when inflation comes, the monetary system dies further, then my asset base increases in value. His biggest why for what he does? I need to make sure that you know that they achieve the things so, you know, I'm supporting looking at my glass office at the moment, I'm thinking like, these families, I need to 
make sure that you know that they're they're part of this vision. His advice for those looking to succeed: call this person, do this, do that, because being alert of what actions you need to do creates that person. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.